This is the podcast for Woodland Presbyterian Church in Memphis, Tennessee. We are maturing God's people to serve a hurting world. We hope you enjoy the message, and if you'd like to learn more about our church, look us up at woodlandpres.org. Thanks so much. May the Lord bless you. The sermon series that we're in is a reflection on the Sermon on the Mount, which was Jesus's um, longest teaching that's recorded uh, in the Gospels. It takes up a huge section of the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew, a very person who uh, was very far from God, who had an encounter with Jesus, and then his life was transformed. And so he tells us the Gospel, which is the good news of the story of who Jesus is. And then Jesus is giving to us the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, Jesus gathered uh, his disciples and other people, and he was sharing with them this uh, amazing sermon that is probably the most famous sermon that's ever been. It's the, the constitution of the kingdom of God. It's a revelation of the character of God. And sometimes people look at the Sermon on the Mount and they say, okay, this is the way that we're supposed to live because Jesus is telling us to do these things. And there's a sense in which that's true. But if that's all you see, then what you're facing is a mountain that you cannot climb. Because when we begin to delve into the Sermon on the Mount, we realize that, that there's no way that any of us can actually fulfill what Jesus is commanding. In fact, uh, what Jesus is doing is he's raising the standard for what it means to be his follower so high that we, out of our desperation, have to turn to him to be able to do it. Because you see, Jesus isn't just giving us a way of life, although he is doing that. He's giving us the holy standard, the holy revelation of what it means to be in the kingdom that he has established, that he has accomplished. And when we see that, we realize, wow, I have totally failed on this. I have not accomplished it. I have not done it the way Jesus would ask me to do. And because of that, then we realize I really desperately need Jesus. I need him to help me to accomplish these purposes, to help me to to be the person that I'm called to be, to be a, a faithful mom, even when it's tiring, to be a loving husband, to be a worker, to be a student, to be the things that God has called me to be. And the reason we're looking at these, uh, this section of scripture is because earlier this year we've reflected a lot on where is the church in America? How is it growing or not growing? What is happening? How the church is either losing its effectiveness or being effective? What are the things that we need to do as the church, as the body of Christ, to carry forth this message of hope that's found in the gospel and in the gospel alone? And we know that really the, the way that we can do that is to follow Jesus, is to look more specifically at at what he teaches so that we can learn it, but then to obey it. Because at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, and I've said this a lot of different times, and what I always try to encourage you to do at the end of a sermon is to say, well, what is it that God is saying to me to do in light of what he said? Right, because if we just come into the room or we just listen online and we learn something, that's helpful But that's not really what Jesus is giving the Sermon on the Mount for, right? We know the end of the Sermon on the Mount. He says, um, these words, and he's referring to all the things that he's just said. These words, right, refer back to like the wise man who built his house upon the rock. And when the rains came, his house remained. This is a paraphrase. Unlike the foolish man who heard what God said, but didn't do it. He built his house where? On the sand. This isn't some construction advice. Build your house on the rock, not build your house on the sand. No, it's be like the wise man, not the foolish man. Both men, both women, hear what God says. One responds in obedience and says, yes, I'm going to do and apply what you're teaching me. And the other hears what God says and doesn't apply it. 
And if we're just listening to God's word, it's as, as important as it is for us to be in this room, to be listening online, to listen to the podcast, whatever it is, to hearing these words, to reading scripture, if we're only just listening and learning, then we're not doing what Jesus would call us to do. We're actually now applying what Jesus says. Because when we look at the church in America, what we see in large part are people who are listening but not doing. We, pe- we see people who, who listen to the message, let's read another book, let's go to another class, but we're not actually obeying the things that Jesus has told us to do. And here's the thing, he's going to give us the power He's going to give us the strength, the boldness, the courage to do the things he's called us to do. Why? Because he loves us. And he wants to see that transformation in our lives. Right? If you think about how Jesus taught his disciples, he was always along the way doing things. They never got into a classroom and said with a chalkboard, hey, let's do this. In the same way that if you're going to teach someone how to fly, yeah, there's lessons that you've got to learn in the notebook, in the class. But the best way to do it is to get in the plane and to say, okay, here's how, we, here's how it goes, right? Here are the things that you have to do. You, you learn by doing. And then when you do the thing, then what you learn becomes so much more significant and important to you. And so that's what I'm encouraging you to do each Sunday is to think through, what is it that God's saying to me through the power of the Holy Spirit, not through Matt, but the Holy Spirit, what's he saying to me that I can do in response to what he's done that will help me to be the person that Jesus has called me to be in the unique position that I'm in? right? The blessing that you all have is that you don't work here. My office is in there, and I'm always trying to get out of my office, right? Because no one ever comes into my office and says, can you tell me about the things of God and who Jesus is? In order to encounter those kinds of conversations, I have to physically move myself out into the neighborhood. And We've actually been going down to Eastgate Shopping Center and just talking with people about Jesus out out in the the front of the uh, Five Below dollar store or whatever it is not five below dollar store you know what I'm saying some of the stores down there and to engage people with conversation but you all bless you are already out among people all the time at work at school in your neighborhoods where people don't know about Jesus and what it means to have a relationship with him and what it means to follow him and so as we are prepared and equipped and empowered to be Jesus to people God sends us out he's sending you out to the people that you're encountering. So I'm just asking you to think about to whom should you speak about these things that you're learning and how do these things make a difference in your life specifically so that you can apply them. That's why we're studying the Sermon on the Mount because we want to know the character of God and we want to be more like Jesus. So if you're able, please stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 through 42. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no, Anything more than this comes from evil. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who 
who would borrow from you. The word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. Father, we thank you for your word and for your grace that speaks to us. Pray that as we listen to what you're saying, that what you're saying would come through loud and clear, and what I'm saying would be <laughs> ignored. But through your spirit, God, speak to us and help us to apply what it is you're learning so that we can be more like you, so that we can bring about cultural renewal and transformation because Jesus has changed us. We pray this in the, the precious and the powerful and the potent name of Jesus. Amen. Well, I don't know about you, but it seems like the truth is, is hard to come by these days uh, as we engage in culture, as we live our lives. There's a lot of disagreement about a lot of things. Uh, authority structures are uh, crumbling, and people to whom we've looked for a long time to understand what truth is have proven to be unreliable, and there's a lot of disagreement. So how do we know what is truth? We spent a decent amount of time uh, last fall looking at the First uh, John, trying to understand what is love, what is truth, how do we know who God is, and how do we know what is actually true? And with all the different voices, and with all of the untruth, the fake news uh, that is out there, how do we really know? And some people say, well, do your own research, but don't do any research. And when you do research, well, how do you know if the research has been done is effective, or faithful, or good? Well, Jesus is talking to us about, in these passages, about grace and truth. And as I mentioned, as he exposes us to these teachings, what we're confronted with is that we're not really living out the Sermon on the Mount in the way that Jesus would have us to live. And that's, it's not okay, but it's the truth. It's the reality for all of us. That's not to make it discouraging for us in our own spiritual journey. It's to help us to deal with the brutal facts and the reality of who we are and where we are and to make us utterly dependent upon Jesus to empower us to be the kind of people he would want us to be. So when we look into the scriptures, we realize, oh, I haven't done this, and Jesus loves me so much that he wants to reveal it to me even more that I haven't done it so that I'll be dependent upon him so that I can then apply what he's saying to me so that I can make a difference in my family. I can make a difference in my workplace. I can make a difference in my community. And as the collective group of us go out into the world to be his followers, whether we're uh, working in an office or we're working in a school or we're working outside or whatever we're doing, we're making a difference for Jesus' sake in the world. And so we gather into this place where essentially submitting ourselves to this teaching. We're saying, Lord, this is the authority. And maybe you're not at that point yet. Maybe you're like, hey, I don't really believe the Bible, but I would invite you to consider it and to explore it and to consider whether or not Jesus' claims are true, his claims about himself to be the Lord, and to, to press in and to say, Lord, teach me through your word who it is that you are and who it is that you would have me to be. And so when we gather into this place, we're coming to meet with God first and foremost. We also want to connect with each other. And some of us are serving, and that's great. We're thankful for you, all that you serve, because so many of you do. And if you haven't served, jump in and serve and help. There's many things that can be done to help in this place. But we come primarily to, to see Jesus. And Jesus, in what he's doing in these texts, is he's exposing the falsehoods or the lies that the other teachers have been presenting to the people. Listen to what he says in the, in the passage. He says, you have heard it said to those of old. You've heard it said, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. He said, you've heard that said. 
The problem with what has been said, it actually doesn't appear in the Bible. It's like most false teaching. It sounds like it's good, but it's not Scripture. There's just enough of it wrong that corrupts it to make it bad. The phrase, God helps those who help themselves. How many of you have said that? How many of you have heard it? We'll, go, we'll start easy. How many of you have heard it? How many of you have said it? Keep your hands up, right? It's a thing that we've heard so many times that we think, hey, this is true. Where in the Bible does it appear? It doesn't. I remember I had a friend. Someone told me, hey, that's not in the Bible. And then my friend said it to me. I go, hey, that's not in the Bible. He goes, what, do you know the whole Bible? <laughs> I was like, no, but I know someone told me that's not in it. But it's not in it. It sounds good, but it's not in Scripture. It's like there's just enough in it that make it something that you don't want. A few years ago, um, Starbucks got in trouble, interestingly, with uh, the people for ethical treatment of animals because they were using um, some red dye from crushed bugs in their strawberry-flavored drinks. Now, the people weren't mad that they were, it was bug juice. They were mad that the bugs were dying, which is interesting to me. But still, nevertheless, like when you think about going to Starbucks and getting a strawberry-flavored drink and realizing it's not flavored, it tastes like strawberry, but it looks like strawberry because of dead bugs, you think, maybe I don't want that. Well, not to diminish Starbucks and their worldwide power structure, they've changed what they use. It's a tomato-based dye now. But it's just enough to make you think, you know, I don't want to drink anything strawberry-flavored from Starbucks because I'm drinking bugs. There's just enough in there that corrupts it, even though you can't really tell from the outside. Well, the Pharisees, these false teachers, they've corrupted the teaching of God. They've corrupted the third commandment, which says, do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And usually we think of this commandment as, you know, don't say God's word as a cuss word, you know, GD, which is obviously something that we don't want to do. But the real purpose of this command was to curb the natural desire that is in us because of the brokenness of our hearts to lie. See, when God gave this command to Moses, the people were lying to each other all the time. And this was preventing them from being able to function as a community. This command that God gave to the people revealed that they were taking all these different kinds of oaths that were silly and meaningless as soon as they were uttered. Um, people I've heard have said, I swear on my mother's life. I swear on my father's grave. What does that even mean? Jesus is saying, in everything that you say, be completely truthful. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. You don't have to add some other level of, of phraseology. Just say yes or no. And see, God has called us to be holy just as he is holy. And so he wants us to speak the truth in every situation when speaking is required. Now, simply because the truth is required doesn't mean you always need to say it, by the way. That's called tact. And sometimes, even if it's true, you just don't need to say it. Just keep that in mind as a parenthesis. But what are the lies that we tell each other? What are the lies that we tell ourselves? Think about it. Have you lied to those around you or those that you work with or that you've encountered this week? Why do we lie? People lie to one another because sometimes it's easier than telling the truth. How does this outfit look? What do you think of my new idea? Oh, it's really a good idea. How are you doing today? This is the biggest lie of all. Fine. 
I mean, come on, you guys are liars. You're not fine. Nobody's fine, right? I mean, have you ever consciously thought, I'm going to say fine, but I'm doing terrible? I just said fine anyway. Now, look, you don't have to tell everybody every problem you're facing because that creates a whole different set of situations, and you don't want people running away from you every time they encounter you. Oh, I'm not talking to Matt because every time I say, how you doing, just to greet him, he goes, well, let me tell you. How much time do you got? I prefer the phrase when people ask me how I'm doing is unbelievable. How are you doing? Unbelievable. Because that really could go either way, right? It could be unbelievably good or unbelievably bad. So if you ask me and I say unbelievable, you just don't know. So just move on. <laughs> we kind of lie to ourselves too, though, right? Uh, Romans 1.8 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. The wrath of God is revealed because we suppress the truth. That means that, as the old saying goes, denial ain't just a river in Egypt. You've heard that said? There are lies that we tell ourselves, right? This, here's a lie. You're not good enough. How many people have lied to themselves thinking that it was true? You said that to yourself. No one likes you. No one really cares about you. You're never going to make it. This thing that you think that you're doing, it's not going to work, so just give it up because you can't do it. Or, what I'm doing doesn't really hurt anyone else. It's not really a problem. I can handle it. Why do we lie? We lie for all different kinds of reasons. For self-preservation, to appear smart, uh, to appear like a good person in that moment. What we want is to be fulfilled by something other than God. How I, people interpret me. I want people to think that I have it together. I don't want people to think that I face discouragement or defeat or sorrow or sadness. So I put on this face. How will people perceive me if they really know the truth about how I feel about myself? Well, the Pharisees were these people who were legalists. We've talked about that. Like they have this real uh, restrictive view of God's law and they want to appear to the world as people who keep the law. But inside, their hearts haven't been really authentically changed. And so what they're doing is they're twisting the commandment of God and relegating lying only to this area, this small area of perjury. So if I don't swear by God, but rather by the throne of God or by Jerusalem, then I really haven't made an oath that really is, can be considered true or untrue. If I don't perjure myself, then I'm not guilty of lying. But essentially, Jesus is saying that we're called to be truthful in all things. So don't make up some oath it just allows you to have wiggle room. Just tell the truth. We see this happening in, in culture, right? Like uh, there was a football coach uh, named uh, George O'Leary. He was a little bit of an older guy, but he was coming up in the coaching, and he got the job at Notre Dame, which is a, which is a, a long tradition, excellent football program, and he was the coach at Notre Dame for five days because they fact-checked checked, checked his resume and he said he had earned varsity letters at a university and some guys go yeah well he came to practices and lifted weights a little bit but he never played and he said he had a master's degree from New York University but he didn't and somewhere along the line those things got added to his resume and by the time that's been on your resume for a whole college football coaching career you can't really take it off and go well 
you know, just maybe they won't even figure it out, but they did. Now, to George O'Leary's credit, he went to the University of Central Florida and helped to build that program into what it is today. He was able to be restored. But it's this sense of, I can just get by. No one's really going to notice. But you know who notices? God and us. And so Jesus is saying in these verses, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Just tell the truth, even when it costs you something. Even if you're embarrassed or if you, if you lose your job, if your spouse gets mad at you, live in the truth. The great thing about living in the truth is that you never have to remember what you said. You don't have to remember the plan, the scheme, the story, because there is no story. It's just the truth. And you can even say, hey, it's even actually worse than you know. Let me just tell you about it. Jesus says to us something that's overwhelming, though, here. He says to turn the other cheek. He moves to this idea of living in the truth, to this idea of living under grace. He moves from truth to grace. They're, they're profoundly connected. He says, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Now, some folks think this statement is really harsh because it sounds like, hey, if somebody blinds you in the eye, then you have the right to blind their eye. But what we've got to realize that was going on in that day and, and actually happens with us is there's this tendency to say, okay, this harm was done to me. So I'm going to do this kind of harm to someone else. And, and if you have children in your family, or have had children in your family, you know how this works. He touched me goes to she slapped me, to he punched me, then he stabbed me, then he almost tried to kill me. Just like that. It's always elevated. It's never, hey, well, you know, you touched me on the shoulder, so I'm going to touch you on the shoulder. No, it never works like that. It's, we're just increasing. And don't we do this? In, in our conflicts, right? They did this to me, so I'm going to really get them back, plus some. You know, I see your 10, and I'm going to raise you 10. But what Jesus is saying, and this is challenging to us, is to turn the other cheek. He goes and raises the bar on us in terms of what it means to, to live in forgiveness and in grace here. See, the purpose of the law was to encourage fair treatment so that conflict would not escalate. This command was for judges and not individuals so that they could make the punishment fit the crime. But Jesus is saying that the follower of Christ is held to a much higher standard than even those who were judges of the law. Instead of responding with more force or the same amount of force, the believer, when slapped on the right cheek, is to turn also the other. Okay, so it seems to me that when Jesus is talking about this, he's talking about an insult, right? If you want to insult someone, you don't punch them. You slap them. And so since the majority of people are, are right-handed, you slap someone, you're probably slapping someone with the left hand. So if your right cheek gets slapped, it's because someone is using their left hand, likely meaning an insult rather than an attempt to punch you or hurt you. And so what Jesus asks us to do is to turn our other cheek allowing them to strike it as well and here's the thing have you ever been slapped in the face don't raise your hands <laughs> just think about it go back in history go back to this morning when you were shopping at the last minute for Mother's Day because you hadn't done it until this morning no have you ever been slapped have you ever been slapped figuratively someone insulted you with words 
while not every one of us has been slapped physically, we've all been hurt. That was a slap in the face. What's our natural response? It's at least to slap, if not to punch, not physically, but verbally. And because we live in the South, we don't actually do it. We just stew over it for 10 years. Sorry, honey, I missed what y'all do. Y'all, I said, y'all, I'm one of you. I'm South, I'm Southern. I'm South. If you say I'm South, you're not Southern. <laughs> just outed myself. But that's what we do, though. We, we think about it, and we're hurt by it, and we don't even want to go and reconcile because it's been a hurtful thing. I'm just good with that guy, man. I'm write him off. Right? It takes a much stronger person. Think about it. You have to be so strong to not slap, to not punch, to not stew, is to turn the other cheek. Is to say, you've hurt me with what you've said. You've hurt me by what you didn't say. You didn't call me, and that hurt. But I'm going to move towards you in relationship. That takes strength. And it's the kind of strength that I do not have. It's the kind of strength that only Jesus Christ can bring. He can bring into your life. Because when you think about the suffering and the sorrow and the struggle that Jesus faced on your behalf, then you can say, yes, Lord. The reason why that person did that is because of something going on in them. They're hurting. Hurt people hurt people. And so what I need to do is not to strike back, but it's to move toward with grace, with love, to try to help that person understand the goodness of God and Jesus Christ. And to move toward it because they desperately need to be loved. Wow. That takes strength. That is really hard to do. And the only way that we can do it is with the power of the gospel. And here's the deal. You can hear this message on a Sunday morning and lose sight of it by the time you get to the parking lot, by the time you're in traffic. And so it's something that we need to be reminded of on a daily, hourly, momently basis. It's not a word, but you know what I'm saying. It's something we need to live in. That's why we come to corporate worship. That's why we read scripture. That's why we're in a spirit and attitude of prayer because we need God to help us with these things because we naturally equal or over that Jesus is calling us to be world changers, to be job changers, to be school changers, to be family changers with the love and grace that is only his that he pours out upon us. See, it's an amazing grace. And it's not something that any of us have done to deserve. So when we raise the standard and we look at what Jesus is calling us to do, we all go, oh, woe is me. I'll never be like that. And the truth is that you won't be. But the truth is that Jesus loves you. And that's what grace is. Jesus didn't look down and go, I'm going to pick out the best people I can possibly find and call them into my mission. No, he said, no, I'm going to take the people who are the most open to seeing how sinful they are so that when they realize the grace that I poured out upon them, they will worship me. They will sing out with joy. They will go into the difficult places. They'll actually pursue relationship with broken, needy, difficult, slapping, punching, hard people for the sake of the gospel. Because you know what? That's what I did for them. Jesus came in to us who were, we were swinging and fighting and scratching and clawing like when your child gets hurt and you want to come and embrace them and they just are fighting against you, but you know what they need is a big hug and you grab them anyway, even though they're fighting against you. That's what we're doing. 
And Jesus has come in and scooped us up. And he said, I love you. And when we don't return a slap, or we don't return a punch, but we turn the other cheek, what, what that's called is, is dying to self. It's, it's saying that, that what, what I want and what I need and my reputation, all those things that just immediately boil up in us when someone slaps us, literally or figuratively, when we, we look at those things and we say, you know what, Lord? For your sake and for your glory, in small ways and in big ways, I'm going to die to myself. Uh, 20 years ago, someone gave me this, and I, I've shared this with you a few years ago, but it just, I often come back to it because I need to hear it so much. And what it reminds me of how much Jesus loves me, that he died in these ways. This is called dying to self. It says, when you're forgotten, neglected, or purposefully set at naught, and you don't sting or hurt with the oversight, but your heart is happy being counted worthy to suffer Christ, that is dying to self. When your good is evil spoken of, when your wishes are crossed, your advice disregarded, your opinion ridiculed, and you refuse to let anger rise in your heart or even defend yourself, but take it all in patient, loving silence, that is dying to self. When you lovingly and patiently bear any disorder, any irregularity, any annoyance, when you can stand face to face with waste, folly, extravagance, spiritual insensibility, and endure it as Jesus did, that is dying to self. When you're content with any food and offering, any clothing, any climate, any society, any solitude, any interruption by the will of God, that is dying to self. When you can never care to refer to yourself in conversation or record your own good works or itch after commendation, when you can truly love to be unknown, that is dying to self. When you can see your brother prosper, and have his needs met and can honestly rejoice with him or her in spirit and feel no envy nor question God while your own needs are far greater and you are in desperate circumstances, that is dying to self. When you can receive correction and reproof from one of less stature than yourself and can humbly submit inwardly as well as outwardly, finding no rebellion or resentment rising up within your heart, that is dying to self. And the one who died to self most ultimately, most gloriously, is Jesus Christ. He did all these things and more so that we would see what the kingdom of God is like. So that his kingdom would be revealed to us and then can be revealed through us. That's the mission that Jesus is on. He wants to show us our need for him and then use us for his sake and his glory in the world. And you, brother, sister, are uniquely positioned in your relationships, in your social network, in your financial situation, in your job, in your classroom, to minister the gospel to people like no one else. You're the only one that can do it. And God has called you to, and he's equipped you, and he's empowered you for the sake and for the name of Jesus. So what is God telling you to do? What is it that God is saying for you to do in light of what he's done. Only God can tell you that. And only you can obey it. Will you pray with me? Thank you for listening to this message from Woodland Presbyterian Church, maturing God's people to serve a hurting world. Again, if you'd like to learn more about our congregation, please visit us at woodlandpres.org. Thank you very much, and God bless you today.